You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. It is Mock Draft Monday, and we have an interesting, though, I don't know about fun, conversation today about mocks because we did a really fun, we do this every year, thing over at APC, and we do we take all the staff, everyone gets some teams, and we do a mock draft. And I was randomly selected, luckily, to pick for the Packers, and we got to the end of the first round. And if uh, one of my compatriots hadn't done me a solid, the Packers would have been sitting at the end of the first round without a lot of options that I think would be potentially appealing to them, and certainly without options that would be home run picks. And it was a scenario that I thought was worth discussing I want to start with something a little bit different, though, a little bit weird, a little bit unique because of the time that we're in. Over the weekend, another in a slew of NFL Draft pre-process videos came out, and there were a number of players who released these fake pro days. They're videotaped and edited and then sent out to NFL teams. And this is, of course, being done because of social distancing, because of the coronavirus and the travel restrictions. Teams have shut down travel, so they're not able to go and get hand times in person. And this all seems very retro. It all seems very analog that you would send a scout to go and hand time a guy and not trust the laser time that the school who puts on these events usually is going to put out there. But that is the case. In fact, the common you know, NFL knowledge is any pro day time you add five hundredths on. So if someone runs four, four, five, it's really a four, five flat because of, you know, whatever. We don't have to cast any aspersions or make any accusations. But all of a sudden, these videos come out, Cameron Dantzler, who you know, the cornerback from Mississippi State goes out and runs a freaky time. He runs in Indianapolis. He runs 4.64. All of a sudden, he's running in like four threes at this videotaped pro day. And it's like, come on, guy. If you're, if you're going to lie, like, lie a little bit better. Jalen Rager comes out and at under 200 pounds, so down, you know, seven, eight pounds from the combine, he runs four twos. 422, 428, depending on the stopwatch. He did have legitimate former personnel there, uh, a former NFL front office guy and, and someone who has trained some of the best NFL athletes of the last 10, 15 years, actually trained Charles Woodson and Julius Peppers for a time. And these are complicating factors here. How are teams supposed to take 
this information. Teams don't have this information, so how will they use it? And my guess is this is going to be a Rorschach test. If you're a scout in that front office and you loved Cameron Dantzler or you loved Jalen Rager, you're going to point to this stuff and go, hey, see? See, look. And even if it's not quite right, they look much better than they did in Indianapolis. For the Packers, this is particularly important because Jalen Rager didn't hit the athletic profile threshold that Green Bay tends to like with its players. And while he was extremely athletic in a straight line, runs 4-4-7, jumps 43, crazy broad jump as well, he's got that burst. We knew he had that burst. It was the lateral agility stuff, the three-cone, the short shuttle, where he struggled. Well, if we believe what's on tape, and even if we add the requisite caveat time to this, he hits that athletic profile. How does that affect how the Packers view him? Is this video enough to now push him back into the conversation with Green Bay at 30? He's someone Green Bay has spent time with. They watched film together in Indianapolis. The skill set fit there is intuitive. It's something that has been talked about a lot over the course of the offseason, and he was the first player before we were even talking draft. I had fans on Twitter and and hitting up the Locked On Packers fan hotline going, let's talk draft. Who are these guys? What do you think of this player? Who should the Packers draft? And I said, look, we have plenty of time to talk about all of this. The only thing I'll say is this, and I posted Jalen Rager's highlights. He's been the guy that I have pointed to for months as the guy that I felt like would be the perfect fit, the instant impact player. And for me, if we're going to use the Rorschach task for me, I'm saying, yeah, these numbers actually fit better with what we saw on tape, with the guy he looks to be on the field. This makes so much more sense than the guy we saw in Indianapolis, and therefore you could find them to be more trustworthy. Now, I don't I don't trust the numbers in a vacuum, but I don't worry about the times. I'm not in the Packers front office going, this is the athletic profile we like, and it's a risk to move outside of it. So from my standpoint, I'm going, okay, look, he whatever he did, he dropped the weight, it made a big difference, and this is the thing. He's so good. So he proved he can do it, draft him. And I was joking with with Mike Kay, who covers the Philadelphia Eagles, friend of the show, someone who was on this podcast last year. And, you know, he said at the combine, and this is true, that he wanted to play above 205, wanted to play in that 205 to 210 range in the NFL for durability reasons, for for strength, toughness. He's a dog. And, and that's what he wants to be. And I said, well, what if NFL teams said we'd rather you be 4-3 fast than 205? <laughs> And I think that's real. If you go out and you run this great time and you you put on the weight, if, you know if he comes to the combine at 207 and runs 4-3, you don't worry about it. Okay, that's your weight. That's what you are now. But he, he was straight line explosive, not quick, and he wasn't as fast as we thought. And if it was because of the weight, you take the weight off. Now he looks like the guy he was at TCU when he was playing in that low 190s, mid-190s type range, 195 probably. And it's not like he put on bad weight for the combine. He tried to get yoked up, and he was. But you'd rather him be 4-3 fast. 
you'd rather him be able to move and change directions. When you add bulk, a lot of times what you're losing is flexibility. And if you lose flexibility, then all sorts of stabilizers are not firing the same kind of way. You lose the, the looseness in your hips and the flexibility in your ankles or your knees or, your, or you know all of these other, we don't have to get into the kinesthetics of it. But the reality is this is real. I mean, you, we've all seen those big bodybuilder guys who can't move their necks. You lose flexibility a lot of times. And so you have to be able to maintain that fluidity as a receiver. You'd rather play at a weight that fits your body and allows you to maximally move than add all this weight to, for reasons. So we, we've gotten a little far off the point here, but Green Bay is going to have a decision to make. And I think Cam Dantzler could be another kind of player. 6'2", you know, in, in the, the low 190s probably in the NFL, needs to add some muscle, needs to add some weight. But... If he's really that fast, and I don't, I don't think he is, and I also don't think he's four six four slow. But if he's closer to four four eight, you know, this is why this is so tough. If you're Green Bay and you do these athletic profiles, and now you're dealing with information that you don't know if you can trust, then how do you make these decisions? And and it's difficult. I mean, there's no question, and we don't know yet if this is going to push teams toward players who have complete athletic profiles, if it is going to push teams to lean more on their senior scouting personnel, Green Bay is lucky. They've got a number of veteran, longtime scouts who are really good at this and who understand evaluating players based on tape and then marrying that with these athletic profiles that they like to put together. So, again, I think there is an advantage because they have these these veteran guys, Ted Thompson grinding tape. They've got Brian Gutekinst. His background is as as an evaluator. And then they have, you know, a group of top scouts who are longtime guys, guys that they really trust. And you can lean on them in these kinds of moments. All right. So I was doing our Acme Packing Company mock draft. And I was watching these guys go off the board. And what I wanted to do, I wanted, I was going into this going, I want a receiver. Okay, so CeeDee Lamb goes off the board to Jacksonville at 9. Jerry Judy to the Raiders at 12. Henry Ruggs to Denver at 15. Justin Jefferson to Miami at 18. Brandon Ayuk to New England at 23. Denzel Mims to the Vikings at 25. By the way, they love Mims. The Vikings really like Denzel Mims, and I, I would not be at all surprised if they use one of their first-round picks on Denzel Mims. They have their eyes on a couple different guys, and he is one of them. So I mentioned that I thought that I was going to be left here with not much. I ended up Joshua Jones fell at 30, but that's only because the Dolphins picked Austin Jackson over him, and, and the consensus is that Josh Jones is the better player. So if Jones goes instead of Jackson, then you're sitting there at 30. T. Higgins is on the board. Doesn't fit Green Bay's athletic profile. Not athletic enough. LaVisca Chenault goes 33. That's a pretty big risk at 30. Jalen Rager, this was before the video came out. I still don't know if he's going to be on Green Bay's, if he's going to be on Green Bay's radar. And then Michael Pittman, who 
I ended up drafting for the Colts at 44. I, I have said over and over and over that I think he would be a good pick at 30, but I'm not convinced that you know Green Bay is as interested as I would be. There is that skill set redundancy. Maybe it is the case that he is so much Brian Gutekind's type that they don't care about the redundancy of skill set. That it's it's sign Devin Funches, split Jay Sternberger out, draft Michael Pittman, and just play basketball. And man, maybe that works. By the way, Devonte Adams, Alan Lazard, all these guys. You can you can just go physically over overpower teams. I mean, the Eagles did that with some tight ends, and yeah, they're tight ends, but you still have to have someone to match up with these big pass catchers. I don't think that's crazy, but let's just say Green Bay feels that way. Then they're looking at 30 at a number of not so great options, or at least options that would not be sexy, I think, for fans. Certainly, you're looking at Trayvon Diggs, Christian Fulton. Would they break their athletic mold for Antoine Winfield? Not really a sexy pick there. You're you're out of offensive tackles, so that's off the table. And in, in this situation, Patrick Queen is gone, Kenneth Murray is gone, and you could you could take Zach Bond. Is he capable of being an off-ball linebacker? I don't know. Is Green Bay going to view him as someone who can play off-ball? They're looking at linebackers across the spectrum. They looked at at Indianapolis at every draft spot. First, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, undrafted free agents. They talked to all the linebackers. And I think that's a signal that they would rather not take one early. If they fall in love with one, great. They had a follow-up interview, a Skype call with Patrick Queen, and he, you know, he's one of those guys that they followed up with, one of the only guys, him and Joshua Jones, at least by what I've what I've seen, read, and heard, is the only guy that they spent time with at the combine that they've that they've had one of these calls with is is Queen and and Jones. So we'll see if that matters. But you could be sitting there at 30 and you don't you don't love a receiver there. You don't love an offensive lineman there. You don't love a linebacker there. So then what do you do? And and that is that is a circumstance that is potentially real. I mean, it it would have happened if, and I will I will protect the innocent on this, although you'll find out who it is soon enough if you read the piece that goes up. Um if if I hadn't gotten a little help on this. <laughs> so NFL teams will will inadvertently help. They don't mean to, but they'll make bad picks. You take Josh Jones over Austin Jackson, but the Dolphins in this scenario didn't. But the reality is if they had, Green Bay would not have had a lot of really good options. And this is where the trade-down scenario becomes more appealing. And I have I have said, and I said last week, that I didn't feel like the trade-down scenario was smart if you're sitting there at 30 and you're going, hey, we've got a lot of good players here at 30 we could take and we'd rather get value. I I don't love that. I don't I just don't. If if you have a player you love, take him. Don't trade back and hope you can get the best of what's left. I just don't think that scenario unless 
you are doing the math and you're like, okay, there are five receivers here that we all think are about the same. And if we move down three spots, you're guaranteed to get one of them. I just don't think that's realistic. It's, it's almost never the case that you would have that many options that you view as similar, first of all. And second of all, for them all to be there at once is just unlikely to the point of, of being not worth talking about. I think this is the trade-down scenario that makes much more sense and is something that Green Bay is going to have to be prepared for. What do you do? How far do you move down? And where is that value? Who are you targeting if you're moving down? What position? If, if you're going down to 35, is it different than if you're going down to 40? You know, Ross Uglum, my editor at Packer Report, suggested 30 for 40 and 90 from Houston. So Houston gives up their their new second, and they give up a third. And Green Bay moves to th- from 30 to 40. Well, okay, now you go to 40. Who's your guy there? And is it different than if you're going to 35? Maybe it is. And certainly it's going to depend on who's available at the time. If you're going from 30 to 40, you know, is Ezra Cleveland going to fall to 40? Are you fine with what's left of LaVisca Chenault, K.J. Hamler, uh, Michael Pittman Jr.? How do you feel about that? I personally, that's fine. I mean, at 40, yeah, I have I have a lot of those guys ranked pretty similarly. Now, I think Pittman Jr. is good enough to just take. So I would just take him. Yes, you could move down and get players who are worth it. But why not just take your guy? So in this scenario, I have players that I would be willing to take. I'm just saying if we create if we created a situation where Green Bay is sitting there going, I just really don't love any of these options. That is the scenario rather than, oh, we've got so many guys here that we can move down a couple spots and still get one. I just don't think that is A, likely, and B, if if you have a, a number of good options, it's more likely that you love one of them or one of them stands above the rest as being the preferred option. So just go that way. Just take that guy. But if there are no options, that's when you move down, you try and create value, and then you sit there going, okay, who's going to fall? Is there a a new tier that we're going to get to? We can get to the top of that tier while adding a pick, and now you've got a new third, and you can get four top 100 players and give yourself better odds of hitting that way. I think that's a scenario that is in play and is something that I think makes more sense to talk about than the inverse, which is, oh, all of these guys are available, and and so we'll trade down to make sure we can get one plus stuff. So I had a little fun with Mock Draft Monday, and I'll, I'll put this mock out so that everyone can see it. It's hard to do because you can't look at it right now. There's no, there's no uh, visual aids in podcasts. But so I put together a list of the the big boards of I think the smartest people, not everyone. You know, there are there are websites that put together the boards of of a conglomeration of people. Frankly, I don't I don't find that to be useful because you're going to get a lot of information from people who frankly don't know what they're talking about. And it's not just that, but but people there's a lot of groupthink and I I wanted to try and avoid that, so I put together a list of people that I think are really smart on this stuff. And I tried to to reorder the board 
um, based on their rankings. I didn't include my own, though certainly I could. And and I, I think I will do that next week, uh, whether it's for a piece for SB Nation or Packer Report or for this show. But what I wanted to do was figure out the consensus. Who were the consensus first-round players? And, and you may recall we did this a couple months back, eh, maybe six weeks back. And I tried to figure out who these guys were going to be, to try and figure out who was going to fall to Green Bay. And it turned out there are way fewer consensus first-round picks than there were before. There were more than 20 last time, and this time there's only 14. And so if if you try and keep these guys with you know understanding of positional need and all that stuff and, and draft philosophy, coaching, all that stuff, I tried and ordered these players in a mock – gave them homes, and tried to see where it would put Green Bay to see if, you know, this worst-case scenario was potentially not just possible but likely. And it is the case that we got to the end of this list. And, and yes, there were a lot of guys that I would have liked. And, you know, Brandon Ayuk would have been there at 30 for me, Michael Pittman. Uh, but all the offensive tackles, long gone. So... I got Jalen Rager at 30. I, th- I still think that is certainly possible right now. My feeling on this is I think it's going to be Rager or Ayuk. I was all on Ayuk last week, but I do think Green Bay wants Rager. I think Matt LaFleur is going to love Rager, and I think he's very much in play. So this was a fun exercise that ultimately left me with a player who I think is not only going to go in the first round, but is a potential Green Bay target. Guys like Justin Jefferson, they're off the they're off the board. The linebackers, the top guys, Queen and Murray, they're off the board. So you're sitting there at 30, and and it's Rager. He's the guy, unless they're going to take a cornerback. And I'd be very surprised if they took a cornerback at 30. Then I think it's going to be one of these receivers. And in this in this situation, they're sitting there with a, with a chance to get a really good player who fits their system. And I, I think ultimately that's how it plays out. I think Green Bay will be in a position to get someone who they like, who they can add to their team and can give them some immediate contributions, even at 30. So while I have always said that you know day one contribution is a little bit overrated because it's more about who you are over the life of your contract. I think Rager is someone who, because of his skill set, just get the ball to him. Just like Ayuk, just jet sweeps, screens, sling it to him deep. He doesn't need to be running, you know, blaze outs and and bang posts and all this stuff that requires a little bit more nuance. Doesn't doesn't have to be that. So I, I would love that scenario. It would bring it all full circle for me as someone who has, you know, pounded the table myself for Rager a little bit. But I, I genuinely believe that he is someone who will appeal to Matt LaFleur. And if the testing is real, and if it's true that Green Bay liked him, then maybe they'll be more likely to believe the testing is real, like I am, then great. And and that is a, a boon for them. I think they get a really good player. So that's Mock Draft Monday for this week. We've got some, some interviews coming this week. Um, I want to talk about Devin Funches a little bit more, so working on an interview there to give you some inside info. We didn't have barely any time to discuss that because you know, we, we switched right back into draft mode and, and a lot of other stuff going on, coronavirus. Uh, also, a little, that little thing uh, of a global pandemic caught our attention, and, and obviously rightfully so. So I, I hope everyone is staying safe. It, it seems like we are getting through this. Uh, and we'll be, you know, having to, to take some new steps 
to figure new things out now that that you know we're flattening the curve now we have to figure out how to how to make this last and make it work and and figure out how to keep people safe moving forward though so um happy easter to everyone who celebrates and to everyone who doesn't uh happy monday because it today is still a glorious day so Let's go enjoy it, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.